Welcome to the Mosaic Church Podcast, where we share with you the message of hope and love that lies at the core of the Christian faith. Our weekly sermons delve into the teachings of the Bible and how they can impact our daily lives, inspiring us to journey together towards a deeper understanding of God's infinite love. Join our community of believers as we embrace the power of faith and embark on a transformative spiritual journey. Mosaic Church in Mableton, Georgia exists to lead people to an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ to help them change the world. Now, please enjoy this message from Pastor Broderick Santiago, lead pastor of Mosaic Church. Today we conclude this series that we've been in for about a month now. Today we wrap it up. It's uh, entitled Outlasters. And the whole premise of this message is that we build something, we create something, we build a foundation within the next generation that outlasts anything that we do in this generation. That the next generation will come behind us, do it bigger and better than we could ever imagine. Uh, That we would leave something that's greater than just legacy. And, and, and I don't know about you all, but I, I've been challenged by it. I've had to sit down and look and say, you know what? Am, am I really raising up world changers? Or am I raising up children that just like to go to church? Am I raising up children that, 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 that have a burden at their young age to literally share the gospel to the ends of the earth? I've been challenged in this series so far. I, I had to look back and say, you know what, am I spoiling my children am I, by, by giving them stuff they didn't earn? A, am, I, am I spoiling my children by, not, by, by just, just, just always saying yes? I had to kind of examine some of my parenting. I don't know about you. I'm just telling you about what this series has done for me. I pray that some of these same convictions you've had in your household. Today, I want to focus our attentions on being intentional in giving. This is not a message about financial giving. Don't worry. This is not a message about, about, about what you're giving fiscally. No, this is a message about what we're giving in terms of what we're leaving for the next generation. Now, as I've said before, and I'll say it again, and I'm going to continue to say it. Well, today I don't have to, after today, I don't have to say it, but this message, this series entitled Outlasters is not my own. It is not. Sometimes you, you, you know, God puts a burden on your heart. He gives you a word to share with the people. He gives you something very powerful and you wrestle with it and you try to make it wonderful. And all of a sudden somebody says it better than you. And God says, well, it's my word. Just ask permission to use it. And so that's what we did. You know, Craig Rochelle wrote this series. Uh, he's a pastor in Oklahoma, uh, in Oklahoma City, and he's got multiple campuses. I mean, I forgot. I stopped counting. He probably got like 100 different campuses right now. He's like really doing it pretty big. And uh, with their permission, we're able to share this particular scripture. Now, we've made it our own. We share different scriptures, but what he said in essence in this entire series, he said it perfectly what I would want to say to you all. So this is his with some of my stuff. So, so uh, Puerto Ricans, we call it, you know, uh, you know, that's where salsa comes from. 
you know, salsa, you take, you know, this ingredient, you take that ingredient, but then you put your own ingredient and it becomes your own. And so that's what I did. I created like a gospel salsa here with Craig Rochelle's message, but I threw some sason and some adobo. Come on, where are my Puerto Ricans at? They know what I'm talking about. And we made it our own. Come on now. So I want to talk about intentional giving. You know, cultural, culture teaches us to be intentional. They really do. Culture teaches us we've got to be intentional. But culture teaches us to be intentional about the wrong things. Right? We, we, this, is what we, this is what culture tells us. Watch this. We, we need to be intentional about planning a wedding. You know, you're engaged. Let's be intentional. Make sure we plan a, a, a wedding that we'll remember forever. A, a wedding that people will talk about for you. A wedding that when we look back at the pictures, it was like the best party the world has come to. However, we don't teach our people about planning for a marriage. We put all of our energy into planning the wedding, but there is no plan for after we say I do. There is no plan post the honeymoon. There is no plan for what the one year anniversary looks like. We're not planning that. I often meet with married couples. I did four weddings this year. That's a record for me. I'm excited. I was excited about that. I'm already booked two for next year. You know, I must do something right. <laughs> That's cool. That's exciting. And when I sit and talk with these different people, these, these, these engaged couples, the first thing I say is don't spend so much time getting stressed out about who's coming to the wedding and what seating arrangements we need to have and who should I have in my bridal party. That is going to come and go. Matter of fact, there's going to be people at your wedding that you haven't seen in forever. But where you need to spend your time is what does five years from now look like? And one of the things I encourage every single one of the married couples that I married to do is a ceremony called a box ceremony. And if you're not familiar with a box ceremony, I'll tell you about it real quick, but then I'm going to keep on moving. With a box ceremony, what the bride and groom do is they, they, they purchase a bottle of wine and they put it in a wine box. And then on their wedding day, they write these very beautiful love letters to each other that neither one can see. And they seal these love letters in an envelope. And then they, they, they put these letters inside the box and they cannot open the box until their fifth year wedding anniversary. Do y'all see where I'm going with this? The reason why they can't open it to their fifth year anniversary is we're planning for them to be married five years from now. The only time they can open that box prior to their fifth year wedding anniversary is when their marriage faces severe turmoil. And then I, I, at that point I kind of look at the groom and I say, and this is how you do it, sir. You open up that box, you open up that wine, you grab her glass first because it's pretty much something you've done while y'all had to open the box up in the first place. And you pour hers and you pour yours and, and then y'all sit separately and read those letters that you wrote on your wedding day. And typically, now it may not be happening in this atmosphere, but during the wedding I hear, oh, that's so sweet. And, you know, it's so sweet. But the purpose of me having them do the wine box ceremony is I'm teaching them to plan for. I'm planning for if I get in trouble in my marriage, I've got, I've got a backup plan. I know what to do. I, I have, I have an, a, a first aid kit, so to speak. 
I'm planning that five years from now, we're going to open this thing up and says, we made it. And somebody asked me, it's like, well, what about after that? I says, do it. So, so when you're on your fifth year anniversary, write some more, write another letter. So when you, when the fifth year anniversary comes and you crack that bottle open and you guys celebrate our five year anniversary, well, have new letters and do it every five years. And this is what we need to be planning. But culture tells us to be intentional about planning the wedding, but nobody's telling our people to be intentional about, intentional about planning marriage. And there's a reason why the divorce rate is so high in our churches. Yes, I said our churches. I'm not going to talk. I only can talk about our churches right now. The world is high, but the churches is high too. There's a reason for that. And we're, and we're telling uh, married couples, plan the wedding. Put all your energy into that. But nobody's telling them how to plan for the marriage because that's where the work comes in. Well, the other thing that culture teaches us is to, to plan the baby shower. Oh, you having a baby. Oh, y'all spend so much money and so much time planning the baby shower. You go to Toys R Us and Babies R Us and Tarjay and Macy's and you got the little gun. That's so fun. Y'all know it is. And you get to scan all of the stuff you want your baby to have. You already know what color your baby's room is going to be. You know your baby's theme. Oh, my baby's theme is going to be whatever uh, the latest character is that's popular. And we, we plan all of that. But we don't have a parenting plan. And then we wonder why our kids are acting the way they act sometimes. Uh, we, we wonder why people look at our kids the way they look at them. And there's, can I say this? There is no, no perfect parenting book. Just like there's no perfect marriage book. Well, let me fix that. There is, and it looks something like this. And, and if you open it up, somewhere in there, you have a blueprint for how you can do parenting well. Uh, and if you flip a few chapters, you can, matter of fact, I'll tell you what, if you, if you, if you really want to get into it, you can just spend time in 1 Corinthians, uh, the whole chapter about love. That's all you need. If your marriage is facing turmoil, I dare you to read through the song of Solomon. Oh, Lord, have mercy. That will save your marriage. That's the only book that is perfect enough to lead you somewhere. But society says this. We need to be intentional about planning stuff. We need to be intentional about planning birthdays and, 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 and quinceañeras and, and all of this stuff. We go, I mean, birthday parties get me sick, y'all. I'm just going to be honest. It get me, I, I love it, but I don't remember growing up having this many birthday parties and it was that important to be at each birthday party. And then you look and it's like every time you turn around, we're doing the, the household budget and we got bills, we got personal stuff. Then all of a sudden there's a section called birthdays. I'm like, we got this many birthdays this month? Do we have to go? Well, they came to, oh, come on. So what? They came to ours. <laughs> I'm just saying, and I, I love everybody's kid, but really, we've taken this thing to another level. Let's spend our time focusing on, watch this. We plan birthday parties, but I think what we need to focus on as a culture is rites of passage parties. We need to focus on, let's make a big plan. And when our kids turn a certain age, that we, we, we transition them from kids to adults. Do you all know, and I'm going to talk about this in a minute, that, that, that our culture is one of the few cultures, maybe if not the only culture, that actually recognizes teenagers? Matter of fact, it's a new thing even to America. Back in the day, uh, we used to look, it was uh, you were a child, then you became an adult. There was no word that even existed called teenagers. 
I'll, I'll share that in a minute. It's in my, my notes. It's really good when I get there. But now we've kind of given them a section to be kids a little bit longer. And I think we've hurt them in a way. I know that culture has changed, but we need to get back to biblical principles in this world. You know, what we do is we accidentally give them the wrong things. We give the next generation the wrong things, and we do it accidentally. Here, here are three things we give them accidentally that are wrong. We give them praise they don't deserve. Seriously, we give them praise they don't deserve. Okay, y'all don't believe me? When was the last time you watched the American Idol tryouts? Somebody told that little kid that was up there singing loud and off-key and mad at the judges when they got booted off that they could sing. Right, you know what I'm talking about. Why? Because we give them praise they don't deserve. We lie to our kids. I'm serious. My wife, one night we were talking and I was going over the kids' homework and and it was really sloppy. It was terribly sloppy. And I was like, yo, do that over. Rewrite that. And it's like, what, everything good? All right. And, and, and seriously, but we've gotten into a time where our kids can hand us junk. And it's like, oh, baby, that's good. You try. The content is good. It's sloppy, but it's good. No. I used to have to sit at the table until I had it done right. Didn't like it. Painful. Heard my friends out there riding their bikes, laughing and giggling, but I had to sit at that table until it was done right. And thank God I'd had to do that because it made me always look for perfection. And I know perfection doesn't exist here on earth, but it made me shoot for it. And because we, 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 we praise our kids, give our kids praise they don't deserve. Now, now, if they deserve it, give it to them. If they deserve it, you know, my kids brought home straight A's. Oh, man, we turned up in the Santiago household. We was nay-naying and, and all of this other stuff. I mean, we were getting it in. You get what I'm saying? We turn up. We're going to celebrate. We're going to go crazy when, when you're doing what's right. But I'm not going to give you praise just because you showed up. I'm not, you, you know, uh, I'm not going to give you praise for making up your bed. You're supposed to make up your bed. Just like I tell people all the time, don't, don't tell me I'm a good father. I'm a father. If I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, I'm providing a shelter, I'm feeding my children, I'm protecting them, I'm actually raising them and not, I'm spending time with them. That's what I'm supposed to do. You know, it's not me being good. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. That's what God told me I had to do. Don't give me no credit for doing my job. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And it, it, it gets me mad when brothers walk around, I'm a good daddy. I, dude, are you just a daddy? Seriously. No, I'm a good daddy. Please. You, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, you don't need no praise. I'm sorry. I got off on a tangent there. We give them things they didn't earn. I said this before. You can, you can play a sport now, and at the end, you're guaranteed a chance to play. If you sign up for a sport, yo, you go, everybody, we have to make sure every kid gets the equal amount of time to play. Really? That don't, that's not how the real world works. I don't, I don't go put in an application to say, well, everybody here got an interview, so we want to at least give them at least uh, a month's worth of work. No, it doesn't work that, like that. You're not qualified. I'm sorry we're going with a better candidate. You didn't get the job. That's what we're ultimately setting our kids up for if we give them stuff they didn't earn. Friend of mine was telling me the other day, I hope it's not somebody in this room because I cannot remember, was telling me the other day that he was having some issues uh, where the person he's involved with 
her daughter, uh, where she goes to school, she's turned 16, where she goes to school, all of the kids, when they're 16, they get a car. So she mad because mama didn't buy her a car. Well, then get you a job after school or on the weekends, save up every penny you can, then we'll go and get you a car. Or better yet, if you want to be this type of parent, tell you what, you give me, if you give, if you raise this much, I'll meet you halfway. But she's pouting and her lip poked out. Everybody else got a car. Everybody else got a cell phone. We have to fix that because we're raising a generation of children that are coming up entitled. And if they don't get their way, they're pouting, they're upset, they're mad, and they're shooting up people. I'm dead serious. We can blame it on mental illness. We can blame it on depression. But what's going on is these kids are getting upset and not having their way, and they're taking that out on innocent people. It ain't got quiet in here because the truth hurts. But it's the facts. We, we were giving them things they didn't earn. Here's the third thing we're doing accidentally that's hurting them. We give them freedoms they can't handle. Like a cell phone. I did not want my oldest son who was 14. He'll be 15 in, in, in January. I did not want him to have a cell phone yet. But then there was this ice storm that happened here in Atlanta that changed my perspective just a little bit. Uh, everybody else had a cell phone. My son did not. And he was stuck overnight at this middle school he was at. And I could not reach him. If anybody in here is a parent, you, don't, you, you probably can imagine the anxiety I felt. And I, can, I can't do anything. I can't go get him. I, the highways, the roads are closed. I, can't, I cannot get him. I don't know if he is safe or not. I don't know if he's eating or not. I don't know if he's scared or not. I don't know what his situation is. And I says, man, you know what? When I finally got hold of him, I held him so tight. I says, you know what? Guess what you're getting? Cell phone. It may be flip phone. It may be old school, but you got a phone, brother. And it's for these purposes. Well, he got the phone, but guess what he did? I get my bill from AT&T. The data was out the wazoo. Well, what the heck? I said, Erica, what you doing? My wife was like, what? I said, hold on, let me see. This number, that number. That's not your number. That's the oldest boy's number. Wait a minute. What are you doing? On YouTube, playing video games, all of these other things, killing my data. Why? Because I gave him responsibility that he couldn't handle. None of us had that kind of responsibility. Some of us were latchkey kids. That's a different type of responsibility. But listen, this is the responsibility we're giving him at that age. He has to manage a budget. You've got to be intentional about going online, managing what you're using in data. And we, 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 these are things we're doing accidentally. This is not intentional. These are things we're doing accidentally. Accidentally wrong things we're giving them. Things, responsibilities, and freedoms that they can't handle. Well, the scripture I want to lead us in, 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 our, in our message today is, old, is the Old Testament scripture. Because I want to tell you how we can fix these things that we're accidentally doing so that we can do some other things on purpose. That will bless the next generation and for generations upon generations. The scripture, if you have your notes or if you have your Bible, you can meet me in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. You find these words. Listen, O Israel. 
The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road and when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. That's how serious this word is. That's how serious it is that you get this. Tie them to your forehead. Can you imagine people walking around with this with for, on, on their forehead? Actually, they did. I'll explain that to you in a minute. They actually did. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What we should give the next generation, number one, and it's coming from this particular scripture, is a community worth having. The first thing we need to give them is a community worth having. Watch this. The word says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. This is, this is so amazing. Because you, you'll miss it if you don't li- really listen to what he says. This, this, this right here, he's making a statement. He says, listen, O Israel. Israel is the entire people he's speaking to. The Lord is our God. This is not an individual faith that he is saying out loud. He's saying, listen, my people, listen, my community, before you get anything twisted, the Lord, the Lord alone is our God. He's establishing the foundation for the community. The Lord is our God. You will not worship anybody else. You cannot bring no other mess in this place. The Lord, Israel, listen, everybody in Israel, let me fix it. Listen, Mosaic Church, the Lord. Alone is our God. The Lord alone is our God. They're establishing the foundation of the community. One thing I love about the Old Testament that we have seemed to somehow forgotten, and I've had this conversation with people and they've given me all kind of reasons why this is no longer important in our culture, is that the Old Testament family didn't look anything like the American family today. The Old Testament family was in completely inclusive. The Old Testament family, it was mom, dad, whole bunch of kids. I'm not done. Grandma, grandpa from the father's side. Grandma, grandpa, mother's side. It included aunts and uncles. They were an entire community. And, and, and this whole family. Family, this one, just this one family of people with a foundation that professes the Lord alone was enough to penetrate the entire nation of Israel, saying, The Lord alone, Israel, the Lord alone is our God, the Lord alone. Right now, we don't have that. The culture tells us that we're in a I got mine, you got to get yours type of society. Culture tells us I'm not concerned with what happens out there. Everything that happens in here is what's important. 
How many of us, and don't raise your hand because I'm not trying to embarrass anybody, how many of you all know the five neighbors to your right and the five neighbors to your left in your community that you live in? Don't answer that because I don't. We've gotten away from the sense of community. And I tell people all the time, I firmly believe that the local church is a hope of the world. But we don't even know our neighbors. I remember being a a young kid in a time where everything that happened in the community that was bad, the church showed up. And it wasn't just one church. It was a bunch of churches that got together to make the change in the local community. I remember the pastor being so involved in the community that one of my friends was such a knucklehead. They didn't call the police. They didn't threaten him to take him to a group home. They said, I'm going to call Pastor Wendell Hamner. Wendell Hamner showed up and everybody straightened out. The church responded to all of the needs of the community. We didn't have to go to the government, but we've gotten away from that. Why? Because we're afraid of people judging us because we say we love God. And people ask you, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. And I dare somebody to to, to kind of say, hey, what do you feel about this thing that's happening in the news with Christians? And we we kind of quiet about it. Yeah, I don't I don't kind of take a stance on that. We're not bold like we used to be. We don't walk around with a big C on our chest anymore like we used to. We're not bragging about how wonderful God is to us each and every day. People aren't busting down the doors. Churches become optional on Sundays. This is why people can schedule events to happen on a Sunday, because they know people ain't going to church. Dead serious. There was a time where you wouldn't even dare ask somebody, hey, hey, you want to have a birthday party on a Sunday? Hey, hey, you want to you have this sporting event on Sunday? Kids have practice on Sunday for sports. And I get it. I, gosh, I get it. But when did this happen? Where Sunday is no longer important. One of the main reasons I still eat at Chick-fil-A is because they don't open on Sunday. Now, I ain't going to lie. Sometimes I wish they did. Like when I leave here, I'd be like, boy, I could go for a chicken sandwich right now. Or on my way here, be like, man, I could go for some of those chicken. The chicken minis. Come on, me and me and Tia, that's our move right there. Them little chicken with the honey glaze. All right, y'all. But I'm glad they don't open on Sunday. They've shown other retailers that you don't have to spend every single day work all these long hours to make a profit in this world. Chick-fil-A is out, is surpassed. Listen, watch this. And here's the other part about Chick-fil-A that's so great. Let me tell you how God is all over them. They're not even in every state in America. It's crazy how people are going nuts up in New York City because they opened the very first Chick-fil-A up there. They had lines all over the place. Christian organization standing firm on their beliefs. And you know why? Because Truett Cathy said, listen, oh Israel, the Lord alone whoa, is our God. And we need to take the same stance. The Lord alone is our God. I don't care what the world does. I don't care what McDonald's does. I don't care what KFC does. I don't care what Burger King does. They're constantly changing their menu to keep up. Chick-fil-A ain't changing nothing. They're claiming more territory, and they're standing firm on their faith. Wow. When will we do that as a church? When will we do that as a people? Stand firm. Listen, oh Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Culture devalues authentic community. 
it devalues it. I'm afraid to say hello to my neighbor. I don't, I don't know them. They look strange. One of my neighbors, they are a couple. And they just had their second child. And the child is beautiful. And I've gone next door to invite this beautiful couple to this church. But, but, but they won't come because every other church they went to judged them. Oh, I forgot to tell you, they were a couple of women. And I'm saying, I love you because Jesus loves you. There is room for you in this house. I'm not going to deal with your relationship. That's God's job. But he gave me a job, and that job is to share the love of Christ with everybody I encounter, and that includes you. I don't have to agree with your lifestyle to show you love. Uh, if that was the case, Jesus would have ignored the woman at the well. Come on, somebody. Uh, he would have looked at the woman they were getting ready to stone who was caught, literally caught in the act of adultery and judged her and let her be stoned. But he instead drew a line in the sand and says, he who was without sin cast the first stone and nobody dared do it. Stones were dropped. Because he didn't cast judgment, he extended love. Oh, man, y'all need to be here for this next series. It's all about love and grace. You need to be here next week. It's going to be so doggone good. You don't want to miss a single, single Sunday. Yes, that was a shameless plug, but I don't care. A community worth having. As I was thinking about this, I was sitting and I'm thinking about the people that come to this church. You don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you wish that your original church home was here so you could go to it? How many of you are like, man, if my church home, I know I'm not home, I've moved, but if my original church home that I grew up with when I was a little boy or a little girl was here, that's where I would worship. Some of us don't feel that way. It was so legalistic. It was so religious. There was no relationship. It was so traditional. It was so focused on rules and, and, and not focused on relationship. Many of us don't want to be a part of that. Why? Because that generation was not building something worth the next generation. The reason I love people like Dr. Crawford Lawrence is because he gets it. He's created something so wonderful that his son Brian has taken over and launched a campus in Tennessee. He's now moved on to New York, but he saw a community that his daddy had built that were lives, where lives were changing and generations were impacting. He says, I want to do exactly the same thing my daddy did, and I want to do it right here where he started it. But daddy, let me show you. I'm going to make it fresh for you. I'm going to make it new for you. I'm going to be your voice to my generation. Why? Because you set me up so well. A community worth having. I love Mr. Tony Evans and what he does. He's got his whole family involved in ministry. Why? Because he's setting a legacy of something that they would love. I firmly believe his grandchildren can't wait to get old enough to lead service one day. Why? Because he's leaving them a community worth having. And I firmly believe that here at Mosaic Church, we are just now starting that same type of process where we will look here 10 years from now, our kids are graduating from college and they're coming back to this place saying, man, that was cool what y'all started past the B, but check out this new thing we're going to do. I want to add to it so that I can reach my generation and so that I can reach my younger siblings' generation. 
but we've got to build something worth having for them. This is why the greatest expense in this church is spending on that ministry. Why? Because they're making a difference. The greatest area of evangelism happens there. My wife pulled numbers the other day and it shocked me. I was happy, but I was sad at the same time. She says, look at these numbers, honey. I said, well, what are these numbers, honey? She says, this is the children's attendance this year. I was like, whoa, they're killing it. She said, this is the adult attendance this year. I was like, oh, oh, whoa, yay for the kids. <laughs> and they get it. This is why they're, they're dragging their friends here and their friends are like, yeah, but my mom and dad, we go to a different church, but they don't have a kid's ministry. And our kids are like, well, come to ours. We have one. And then their friends are in turn telling their friends and they're having a blast and they're going home telling their parents. Parents are like, what did y'all do? And the kids aren't going back saying we just colored. The kids are going back saying, listen, I learned the books of the Bible. I learned that Jesus loves me in spite of my wrongdoings. I've learned this. I've learned that. But then they gave us a snack too. And the parents are like, well, cool, you can go. I'm not going to go yet, but you keep going. We're already creating that, y'all. Y'all can get excited about that. Here's a, here's a second thing. Here's a second thing. We need to be intentional. Intentional. Uh, keep saying intentional. I don't know why. I keep trying to put that together. Intentional about keeps running together for some reason. We need to be intentional about leaving them a standard worth achieving. Leaving them a standard worth achieving. Watch. Watch what I'm going to share with you. Deuteronomy 6 and 5 says this. And you must. And let me read that again. And you should think about. No, I don't say that. And, and you should try to love. No, I don't even say that. Uh, you should sometimes every now and again love. No, I don't say that. It says you must. Not an option. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul. And here's the part that people miss. And all your strength. The fact that it says you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and then it blows in all your strength. It's telling you that it's not going to be easy. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take everything within you, every piece of might you got to love him that type of way. Why? Because the world is going to be pulling you this way, but it's going to take every ounce of strength in you to keep pulling toward him. It's going to take everything to keep pulling more of him toward you. It's going to take the strength of mama, daddy, granddaddy, aunties, uncles, best friends, neighbors, pastor down the street, your pastor, your mama's pastor. It's going to take all of your strength to fight off the evil of this world. The fact that the Bible says with all your strength implies that you will struggle. The fact that it says with all your strength implies that it's not easy. If Christianity was easy, everybody would be a Christian. <laughs> y'all signed up for something y'all didn't know y'all signed up for. If it was easy, everybody would do it. But it takes work. It takes all of your strength. And we need to be setting a standard for them that's worth achieving. I love when they did the Bible book challenge in Mosaic Kids Zone. These kids were on fire. My kids were drilling me. Daddy, 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 hold on, hold on. And I'm like, hold on. Now, I have four kids. And Sydney, she can't read, but she participated in wanting me to quiz her on the books of the Bible. 
They were on fire. Daddy, if we memorize these books in this order, oh man, we, 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 we get this type of prize and we get to know the books and da-da-da-da-da. I mean, they were so on fire, a group of them got together and made their own song so that they could memorize it. And that's the part that I love. It started as a competition, but it left competition to community because they didn't want any of their peers to be left out from not knowing the books of the Bible. And I think all we were giving them was like some extra snack or something. It wasn't like a big prize in the end. So they're like, forget the snack. The greatest reward is knowing the books of the Bible. We didn't tell them that. This is what they took from that. A standard worth living. We need to set that. And, and we have to let them, they have to see that it's not so easy. Watch this. Remember I told y'all this thing about, about teenagers? Watch this. Old Testament children actually memorize, watch this, the first five chapters of the Bible by the age of 12. That was their norm. Old Testament children memorize the first five chapters. And if you, if you, if you have your Bible in front of you, I want you to just go all the way to the end of the fifth chapter, see how much they had to memorize. The first five chapters by the time they were 12. <laughs> but we're not giving our kids something like that to shoot for. The fact that we said, just, just listen, memorize the books of the Bible in order. That set them on fire. You know what that told me? We can give them even more to shoot for. We can, we can, we can challenge them a little further. Tell you what, if you can remember, you know, it, they, they move beyond memorizing the Lord's Prayer. Sydney was on the board for that already. I went to her school. My wife took a picture. I don't know if she shared it social media, uh, on the social media, but she went to her school, and they have a board of all the kids who knew uh, the Lord's Prayer, and my, my baby Sydney's name was up there. And I was like, I'm not excited about that. She's supposed to know the Lord's Prayer. It'd be embarrassing as a PK if she didn't. I'd be like, man, I'm, I suck. I quit. Pastoring is not my job. I need to work on parenting. <laughs> They've moved beyond that, but we're not challenging them. Why? Because we, we've set a standard for what our kids will learn. I tell people all the time, uh, I just found out my son Ja'Kai reads on the college level. And I says, yeah, because we had him reading like we took away the picture books from him when he was like six years old. Like, no, we, if a book got pictures in it, no, 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 read these chapter books, no pictures. We challenge them early on. Why? Because I know what the system says. The school system says they should be reading on this level. That's cool. That's your standard. But the Santiago standard is this standard. He don't know what he don't know unless I, I tell him what he knows and don't know. And we've not pushed our kids hard enough. We've not pushed our kids hard enough to share the gospel. We've not pushed our kids hard enough to stand up against stuff like that. I love this school that's happening over, uh, I think it's in Washington, where they're, they're standing firm. The football team is like, yo, I get it. I know y'all got rules. We're not supposed to pray on the football field, but we are standing behind our coach. I don't care what the rules are. We're going to pray with him. And I love the coach for standing up. I'm like that, too. I'm one of those people that I apologize for later. If I'm in a school and I visit schools all the time, and I'll say this publicly and I've never been ashamed of it, kick me out, I won't come back. I understand, but I'm going to keep doing what God told me to do. That's why I serve. And if I'm in a school and the teacher says, Pastor, come pray with me, we find a broom clause and we pray. We really do. I'm not going to say what school because I don't want to get nobody in trouble. But the truth of the matter is that's true. Somebody asked me to pray, I'm going to pray. If a kid needs prayer, I'm, listen, I'm, let me walk you to class. Young man, God, just bless this child. I don't know what his need is, but you do. And I'm going to do it. And I'm going to look. I'm going to try to obey the law. I'll apologize for it later. But God gave me a mandate. And your rules and stuff will not get me into heaven. God will get me into heaven. Only he has the key to that gate. 
I love the law. I understand that. But God comes first. The word teenager was not conceptualized in America until after the Great Depression and was used. Watch this. The word teenager was used for the very first time in 1941 in Reader's Digest. That's not that long ago. It was conceptualized after the Great Depression. Why? Because a kid, it was like this. When you turn 12, you can work. But now we got this thing called teenagers, and so we've extended this period of time where they can still be kids. We've changed it. We've sugarcoated. We, 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 we haven't, we, we're not pressing them hard enough. All right, all right, I've gone too long on that. One of the things I was talking with somebody about, we were talking about the sex talk with our kids and how important it is, and it is an uncomfortable conversation. And uh, I says, uh, and we laugh about it, me and my wife and others. You know, well, what was your sex talk like with your parents? And I remember my dad's, and I, my dad listens to the podcast. So, Pop, I love you. I'm just going to tell the truth. And so the sex talk with my dad went something like this. Son, you good-looking boy. I know you out there doing things. I was 13. And he says, listen. I said, no, I'm not. And I wasn't. I said, I'm not. I'm not. I wanted to, but I wasn't. And he says, no, I know you are. You, 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 you are. I said, no, I'm not. He said, you my son. You not? I says, no, I'm not. He says, but if you is, here's a safety. That's what he called them. They were called safeties in his era, the prophylactic. That was a sex talk. So in other words, I can do this as long as I wear safety. Other people was, don't you bring no babies in my house. And I say, when I had came time for me to have the conversation with my son, I says, God, how, how should I do this? Because I've got it so wrong. And God says, well, what would you have liked? This is what God said to me. He said, what would you have liked to have heard? And I said, I would have liked someone to tell me not about the bad things that happen as a result of sex, sexual transmitted diseases, pregnancy. I would have liked somebody to say, you know what? What God gave you is precious. What God gave you is holy. What God gave you has so much power, and you should save it for the one who deserves it. I wish somebody had had a conversation with me about remaining pure, but nobody did that. Everybody kind of gave me a pass to sin, but just do it right. So I said, that's the conversation I want to have with my son. That's the same conversation I want to have with my daughters. That's the same conversation that I have with my mentees. It's the same conversation that I have with young ladies. And I tell them the truth. People that I had sexual encounter with before marriage can always say I was with him. I give the example of Beyonce. Everybody loves Beyonce. Young boy, ooh, Beyonce, Beyonce. Do you know there's probably a knucklehead right now say, I had that. He can always say, no matter what in the world happens in his life, no matter how famous she gets, no matter how wonderful she is, somebody can always say, I don't care who she is now, I had that. And I've gone back to my old community and seen people that I've had sex with out of marriage. And it's just embarrassing. It's like, I cannot believe I gave you something precious from me. And no matter how well I do in life, no matter how important I get, no matter how saved I am, no matter how important my legacy is, you can always look and say, had that was mine first. Why did I give that away? Because nobody told me I shouldn't. Nobody told me that it honors God to remain pure. 
I was on social media, and I'm going to move to my final point. I was on social media, and I saw people just in a frenzy. They're tripping out about this young lady who got married recently to a gospel artist. And uh, she, she, they posted pictures of her giving her dad a certificate. And her father was like, uh, you know, embracing it. And so I decided to read what was going on in this particular thing. So I clicked on the article. And what happened was she gave her father a certificate that she literally had from the doctor saying that her hymen had not been penetrated, had not been broken. In other words, she was still pure and she remained a virgin. So on her wedding day, she gave her dad the certificate to say, Dad, you told me the importance of remaining pure. And I honored it. And I wanted to show you. You didn't even ask for this, but I want to show you how, how important it was that I remained pure. So this is my gift to you for the gift you gave to me in explaining the importance of abstinence, the importance of purity. And so people were responding. So I was like, well, let me see the comments because that's where this whole thing started. You know, people were making these comments. So I went and read the comments and people had some negative things to say about that. Like, oh, she in a cult. Her daddy made her. Her daddy didn't ask her to do that. She wanted to honor her dad by doing that. Oh, that's, that's too much. Girl, you don't know what you're missing. What if he sucks in bed? So God can work out any miracle. I'd rather discover sex for the first time with somebody else that that has not been sexually exposed. And we're both trying to figure this thing out together with God there instead of one of us being an expert and one of us not. I wish so bad that we begin to have those conversations with our children about the importance of purity and point out how how much it honors God. And most importantly, it honors them. It gives them uh, more stuff. And so I was reading that. And I'm just like, wow, I can't believe that people in this world are bashing this young lady because she remains sexually pure. They're bashing them. I tell people all the time, my wife and I waited. They're like, did y'all like wait? Like, did y'all start and stop? Wait, did y'all wait? No, we waited. It's the greatest decision I ever made in my life. The greatest one. We waited till we were married. And no, we didn't. I didn't propose. And then next week we, get, we got married. Didn't work that way. It wasn't fast. It was a wait. It was a nine-month wait. And it was worth every minute of it. Y'all laughing. You're, okay, you're, you carried babies for nine months. You know the strain. That's a long time. Huh? Final point. <laughs> I was just impregnated with something else. <laughs> Hallelujah. Final point. We need to leave them a faith worth reproducing. Deuteronomy 6, 7. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are setting up. Worship team can come because it's going to be a short point right here. Authenticity, my brothers and sisters, trumps being cool. And we've watered down Christianity, and I'm not talking about everybody, but we've gone to church and it becomes a show. There's lights, there's smoke, there's all, and I don't knock that. If, if people are being transformed by all of that stuff, it's cool, but we can't have all that stuff and be void of authentic worship. We can't have all of that stuff and it be void of the authenticity of the gospel, we can't have a cool church and it's a fun place for everybody to come, but nobody's leaving changed. They're coming to church, they're having fun, but they're leaving worse than when they came in. 
We've watered it down. We've watered it down. We don't talk about sin in church anymore and how real it is and, how, and, and what the effect it is that, that, that it has on your life. We don't talk about the Holy Ghost anymore in the church. We don't talk about the importance of the Holy Spirit in the church. Oh, don't, oh, don't, don't, don't do that. The Holy Ghost has become a ghost to people. It's spooky. And we need to stop that. We need to show that just knowing Jesus and sharing his gospel is way cool. I don't need the Jesus is my homeboy t-shirt. I don't need the gimmicks and the gadgets and the whatnot to be cool. The fact that I love Christ, he saved my life. He turned a wretch like me into somebody that means somebody. That is cool. And if that's not cool for you, I don't need to hang with you. If that's not the type of cool you want to be associated with, then you're not my friend. We need to be straightforward about this faith and stop watering it down. We need to not be ashamed to pray for people where they are. I saw someone the other day. Y'all know me. I'm a praying fool. I saw someone the other day. I was at the supermarket. And I love my Publix. That's become like my second ministry. Because I done prayed for so many people have been Publix over there on Veterans Memorial. I'm dead serious. I walk in there and one lady said, I ain't messing with you. I said, why? She said, because that thing you prayed happened. I said, well, amen, sister. She said, that's why I ain't messing with you. <laughs> but I was in there. And, 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 and a young lady was just stressed out. And so I'm kind of. You know, I'm in line and I see her stressed out and she's sharing this with somebody and somebody, uh, somebody she knows. I think they knew each other and they're like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. You know, I'm, I'll pray for you. That's just, oh, that's just sad. I'm so sorry to hear that. I'll, I'll pray for you. And I'm saying to myself, do it now. Oh, my God, do it now. Guess what could happen if they do it now? I'm just saying to myself, do it now. Do it now. Pray for them right now. Let everybody witness this. That Christianity is real. That Jesus is alive and real. Do it now. Do it. Do it. Do it now. Do it now. And they didn't do it. And so I was like, oh, man. I just like wanted to kind of, you know, you in the line. And I want to get past it. Excuse me. Excuse me. Can I, can, can I get past you? I want to do it. But uh, I couldn't. I couldn't get past it. I was, I was like three or four people deep. And so I was like, man, come on. Come on. Hurry up. Run me out. Maybe she'll still be in the parking lot loading her groceries up. And so naturally, you know, I couldn't wait. I ran out there. Ran her down. I'm looking. I'm looking. I'm like. There she is. And I went up to her and said, listen, I, I, I wasn't buttoning your conversation, but you guys were speaking loud and I got good ears. My eyes are not that well, but my ears is good. But uh, may I pray for you? I says, I know it's strange. I don't want you to think I'm part of a cult or anything like that. I said, but I love to pray for you because, you know, I overheard that you're stressing out about something and whatever. I says, I don't know the whole story, but I can see that you were stressed. And I know your friends said they're going to pray for you, but can I leave that right now? Let me drop a seed of prayer for you right now. You don't have to tell me your name. You don't have to tell me the story, but let me pray for you. And I did it. And, and, I, and I asked her, I says, do you mind if I just lay my hands on your shoulder? I'm not going to go any further than that. She says, no, go ahead. And I says, I'm a pastor. Does that help? May not. I don't know. Sometimes that that may work in the wrong, that may not work in the right, wrong circle. And so I, she said, okay. And I put my hands on her and I began to God, I don't know this young lady, God, but I sense she's burdened with something. God, I know she's hurting right now. And I know her friend has already promised, but God, I'm going to go ahead and lead the way. I'm going to give a little precursor to what's already going to come. I'm going to make the road so smooth. So when her friend comes in, all we're doing is touching and agreeing because I know that you have the answer that she needs. I know you have the peace that she needs because you are the Prince of Peace, God. I know that you are Jehovah. 
Jehovah Jireh, our provider. So whatever you need provided, God, in the name of Jesus. And I prayed over this young sister and I opened my eyes and she's standing there weeping and she says, thank you. She says, now do you mind if I hug you? And I says, okay. Thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that Pastor B said something that moves you closer to Jesus. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, we would like to invite you to follow us on social media at Mosaic Mableton and visit us on our website at wearemosaicchurch.org. You can learn more information about our church, ways to support our ministry through financial donations, stay updated on upcoming events, and find resources to support your spiritual journey. We would be delighted to welcome you in person on Sunday mornings to worship and connect with others. Our doors are always open to those seeking a place to grow and explore their faith. Thanks for tuning in and may God bless you on your spiritual journey.